Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Downrange Podcast. I am Cody, joined today by Mr. Schuster. Neil, what's up, buddy? Back in the hot seat. Hold on, I got my buttons. Hold on. <laughs> oh, my light just went out, too, because of that. Hold on. I got. Oh, and I got the clapper set up in my office. Check this out. He's back. A All right. ri- riveting start. You can't see it, but somehow lights are turning on. The kid is back in the booth. How are we doing today? Uh, we're doing good. We're doing good. Excited to do some Q&A with you. You know, Cody, you don't get enough burn on your own podcast. <laughs> because you, you ask for these Q&As, and then it's hard to ask the question to yourself. So I, I hopefully I can be a, a bit of a Sherpa here. I appreciate you standing up and saying, hey, here I am. Send me. I want to go back into the cauldron, which is the booth. And knock some of these out. Because you're right. I love doing Q&As. We get a million of great questions. The issue is, is that it's very awkward just sitting here and trying to figure out how you're going to answer them and doing it all by yourself. So thank you. You're welcome. This episode of Downrange, just like every other episode of Downrange, sponsored by Mr. Ma Golf. Neil, what do you know about Mr. Ma Golf? I know that they support adaptive golfers, veteran golfers. Some of the, honestly, most amazing golf swings I've ever seen. I would encourage people to follow Mr. Ma on Instagram. Got some good, uh, some good content. I could watch those guys hit the golf ball for hours. Enjoyed being at the Simpson Cup, seeing some of their sponsored, sponsored players. It's tough to see the U.S. get shellacked by the uh, it happens. GB&I team. It happens. That's all good um, competition right there, though. You need that. It, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I kind of wish that, that it would have been a little closer on, on day three, but... Uh, yeah, they're doing big things for veterans and coming off of veterans day. I think if you're looking for, uh, a place to support some apparel that would support veterans, I would think about going to Mr. Ma and buying some shirts. That's right. Mr. Ma golf. You can find them at www.mrmagolf.com. Follow them at Mr. Ma golf on Instagram. And they still have their, their sale right now. Veterans day sale. So if you use code veterans, that's veterans with an S at checkout. You receive a very generous 20% off your entire order. That's through November 18th. Please go out there, make a purchase at mrmargolf.com. And they're putting their money where their mouth is. I mean, they're supporting like five or six now adaptive golfers, majority of them veterans, uh, a couple of them that are not veterans, but all doing amazing things out there, not just playing competitively, but giving lessons, and inspiring others around them. So thank you once again to Matt and Mason. That's veterans at MrMaGolf.com. One other thing, though. I was interested talking to you about Mr. Ma and, like, why, why you like it. It's, and I never thought about this, but you're like, it's tough sometimes for the veteran community. Like, a lot of the apparel is just, like, blood, skulls, swords, <laughs> guns, flags, and camo, and... Listen, you know, I, listen, I'm wearing a camo hat right now. I, nobody likes camo more than me. But, you know, sometimes you just kind of want to, like, wear, like, regular golf apparel and yes. also feel like you're supporting a veteran cause. A hundred percent. Which I never thought about, which is actually like, hey, that's a pretty cool little niche. And listen, I love all those things. So all of those yeah. things are me, just at, like, certain phases of time. I don't, I don't need to wear them all the time, you would say. Sure, uh, sure. And there are some, like, there's quite a few other veteran related organizations in the golf apparel space and it's just way way too much it's very much over the top mr ma is not that i think it's very very clean and ultimately like 
it represents everything that I am. That's the that's the biggest thing that I like about it. So uh, another free ad right there for for Mr. Mock. It, it's hard to break it down because when I first met them and they described what they wanted to do, I was like, oh shit, like this is phenomenal. Like uh, you're literally just following my storyline of what we got going on here. And having them come on board is, has been great. Anyway, a lot of questions sent in both across DMs on Instagram, Twitter, and in my email. So I'm excited to break it down with you. We got a wide, wide, wide variety of topics, and we're just going to kind of fire and, and let it rip, all right? Let's do it. All right. <laughs> Wrong button. <laughs> First, before we get going, uh, the number one person who sends me a question every single time was not able to send a question in this week just because of things going on in his life, and that's former downrange guest Jake Trago. Goose, we've told his story before. I've brought it up multiple times on this podcast that the No Laying Up audience are very, very familiar with it, dealing with cancer, and we thought we whipped it. It ended up coming back, and he's back on uh, the operating table this week before he continues on his treatment to finally whip this thing again. So before we really get started, I just want to say, I know Jake's going to listen to this, thinking about him, praying that he has a really good recovery, and, uh, you know, somebody who's definitely added more to my life than I ever would have imagined. From the the day that I met him two hours later, I think we're on the, the telephone for like three and a half hours and that's just Jake. Everybody that knows Jake, he gives 100% into every relationship that he has. And just wishing him and his family nothing nothing but the best. Yeah, definitely thinking about Goose. I actually have him staring at it right now. I've got a little gift that's going to be heading his way next week. And you know what? I'm, I'm We're going to lick it this time. I, I know he's got a long road ahead of him the next two, three months. But he's at the... He's at Buck Tech. He's at the Ohio State, man. Yep. He's got he's got the uh, you know we're 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 in with the top line, the A team, you know, trying trying to fix uh, the big homie. So thinking about him and and uh, got to reach out to him later today. I hope everything goes well at at the great Ohio State University medical facility, and that's painful for him being a, a huge Michigan State fan. So I know it's yes. just a dead, a dagger for him, but they'll get a whip. They'll get it figured out. All right. Starting out, first question off the gate come from Maxwell Max on Instagram. The best guest or memorial event moment this year on a live show for you? Oh, um, well, the best the best entrance was Hunter Mayhan with the hater blockers <laughs> coming in coming in hot. I think that was a PGA Championship live show. Uh, that was good stuff. And then it was tough to beat SVP. I mean, that was a little bit of a. Uh, what a world moment when yes. SVP is calling in from his office before he's going on at Sports Center and just truly holding court. Uh, that guy is a, a pro's pro. I think my favorite though, uh, it was having uh, Mike Tarico on and getting <laughs> to ask him what what his favorite restaurant in St Andrews was, and and he said it was the Italian place. And I just said, "Hey, Mikey T," that made me just very because of some stupid joke we have, uh, made me very happy. So. Uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, one of those three. What about you? Well, yeah, I wanted to start here because as 
producer, the guy that runs the live shows on the back end of it. There's a lot that goes on and there's a lot to coordinate and, and make sure that things go smoothly. And I'm not just talking about like the bots who are continuing to attack the account the entire time. And hopefully you guys pay no attention to that while it's happening. I, I love when the bots come for you. But, <laughs> but it's very stressful. Every guest that we've had on this year has been phenomenal. We've had a couple of them that, like, for some reason were supposed to make entrances into the show that never ended up coming out of the green room just because they couldn't figure out their connection. But I'd say overall, the fact that we had SVP on the live show and him being, like, as chill and, like, just wanted to shoot the shit as much as he did was, like, a a straight-up pinch-me moment. And I'll say... It's crazier is that I was at the PJ Championship for the first couple days uh, with Ben on the ground and friend of the program. I would say my my great uncle Bunky Perkins, uh, staying at his house, had me set up very very nice there, and we actually ended up going out to dinner with SVP and and his crew from the ESPN golf team that were they were carrying morning coverage there, sitting down in a room. You know, if you could. Imagine Tulsa, Oklahoma in this kind of old school steakhouse in Tulsa. We're in the back room. It's completely surrounded by glass, and we're the only table that's in there. Everybody's walking by and just looking in there and realizing, oh, that's that's SVP, and who are these people that he's sitting with? And then a lot of people recognizing my face and, and literally just mouthing, the, what the fuck is going on? How is Cody in there right now? Which I still cannot believe happened, but by far... The best guest that we had, Hunter coming in the first time with his with his hater, the hater aids on was was awesome. And then when he brought him back again, you didn't see it for the president's cup, but we had him on a second time, and he came in without the glasses. And then we we brought it up right away to him, and he immediately had him ready, threw him on, and everybody went wild. So it was a, a All good. Right, well, year. I got a follow up question for you. What is it? What is it most? What's most stressful about the live shows for you? Getting started at a decent time. I think okay. we I have everything set up from graphics to links set out to everything. The issue is, is that it's a moving timeline. So you don't sure. know exactly when coverage is going to end, if coverage is going to go longer. You also don't know on whoever from the main NLU5 group is going to be on the show. Because it's a rotating cast, right? We don't quite know what's going to happen when they pop into the studio, even though we do rehearsals and like comms checks and everything else like that. And I feel bad for for saying this, but the big guy just kind of struggles with his connectivity. He struggles with his cameras. He struggles with his lighting. So it's we're just, working on all those things, though. For sure, we have we we've evaluated these issues, and and we are going to make some, some. We're going to get a little bit better. That's I, the goal. I very much look at the live shows as a, you know, you're freshly married, but the first purchase that Yari and I did was one of those fancy ass KitchenAid stand up mixers that has a million attachments to it. I got one of those on my registry. I Shout hope out you to got my, it. my Uncle Jim and Aunt Jane. Well, I love it. Thank you, Uncle Jim. It's the, the best, best gift that Yari and I have ever received. We still have it to this day. I love the thing. I very much look at the live shows just like that KitchenAid stand-up mixer. Every year you get a new attachment. You try to tinker with something. You might get a new pasta roller. You might get a new uh, you know spaghetti cutter. Uh, you might get a new little uh, hook attachment to make the dough just a little bit better. 
but we got a million things that we're throwing in there. And we're just trying to improve, man. That's that's the only thing it is. So with big, it's connectivity. Uh, with others, it's just timeliness of like, okay, cool. I, I know you have the link. Why aren't you in this show? We're trying to start 10 minutes after coverage ends. What the hell's going on? And it's just like this building amount of stress and anxiety. At the same time. Yes. At the same time, in my, my own personal life, as everybody has their own personal life, I have kids running around. I'm trying to tell Yari to hush and be quiet, stay out of the office. The girls are screaming because usually it's bedtime. We're trying to get them bathed and, and down for bed. It's just a lot. It's a lot. Telling Carson, hey, don't use, uh, hey, I'm sorry, you can't watch Netflix for the next hour and a half yes. just in case get the bandwidth gets a little tight. Uh, nothing you know, people, 8 p.m., the whole nothing. world's watching the, the, the highways. There's a lot of congestion on yes. the superhighway at that time. Uh, I will say this, though. One, one thing makes me feel better is, like, you, even if you watch SVP on SportsCenter, like, they, I would say once a show, they, they call, you know, they have Steph call in during the NBA Finals. Connection drops. Yep. Cool. Bob and Weave. Anytime someone's asked me to come on a radio show, like a legit, you know, talk radio, it's, it's very manual. The, the guy's like, hey, call this number, and then you're going to wait in this green room. Like, it, there's no, you, you almost think, like, when we're trying to start doing this stuff and we want it to be very professional, you start to realize once you try it yourself that nobody knows what they're doing. Like, all the way up to the ESPN, you know, like, watching, like, the, the Manning cast and stuff. Same thing. They're all calling in with freaking, you know, AirPods yep. and stuff. Like, nobody knows what they're doing. It's just, it's, it's truly duct tape, chicken wire stuff, even, even with the biggest production budgets in the world. So that always makes me feel a little bit better. And I think the expectation is, like, if we can get it 80% of the way there, which I think we've done a pretty good job of, then it's just like, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder to get to 85% or 90% of like what perfect looks like. But, you know, people are pretty patient with like, like going back to your KitchenAid mixer example, it doesn't really matter what attachments you have. It Like with baking, it matters like, are you a chemist? Did you put the right amount of sugar in? Like, do you have the ingredients? And I think we have all the ingredients. For Sometimes sure. it might come out a little like the, you know, the souffle might be a little <laughs> indented, but... It, it, but it still tastes good, I think. So, you know, just try to just try to make you feel like, you know, it, it's never gonna be, never gonna be perfect. No, and, not but at all. Nobody out there is doing it perfectly. So I, I completely agree with you. And you know me, I am that person that I look at everything worst case scenario. Because sure. if if we meet worst case scenario, then I like I'm already prepared emotionally, mentally. To be at that level. So anything above that, I'm like, hey, that's a win, man. Like, we're, we're doing okay. We came out on top. Live shows. You guys started the year, though, doing it in St. Andrews. We did. Majors-wise. You did the, the Masters of St. Andrews. I don't think we, we're probably going to do a, a massive remote show f with dealing with time change and full days of golf and everything else like like going forward, right? We three in the shark-infested deep end right off the bat, Cody. Well, I did. We did the players. I was down in Jackson. It was a lot easier. But I also think, like, the schedule and massive delays because of weather and everything else like that aided in it. But trying to coordinate with you guys while you're dog-tired from playing golf all day, it's also, like, 1, 2 in the morning by the time we're firing up live shows or whatever. It was something special. 
It's all about reps, though. We got a lot of reps last year, and I think it gave us a ton of ton of good insight onto what we got to get better at and, and how we can improve it just a little bit. Completely agree. And thank you for everybody for watching. This one, Sam K61 on Instagram. What's been the scariest part and best part of transi- transitioning to full-time content? I would throw that one your way, big guy. What's what's me? This yeah, is for you too. Well, you got more recency on this one. True. I think the best, absolute best part is doing something that I never dreamed would have been an actual reality. You get to talk about golf with a group of coworkers that quickly became good friends. But at the end of the day, you're all in the same boat, rowing together, trying to make the best content for a very active fan base that's continuing to grow. I think the best part has been interacting with like members of the nest and other people that like just can't get enough of golf content that we produce. That's a good answer. Thank you. Uh, I'm coming up on four years, which is a long time in February. I, I think the best part is control of my time, especially in the early days. Like when leaving Google is just like, I can, I can dictate what I should spend my time on. And I feel like I'm, I'm pretty good at knowing when I'm working on something valuable and when I'm not. I've, I've maybe have a knack for that, but I, I, I enjoy working on like, you know, as they say, high impact, high, you know, not high stress, but just like, hey, this is like there's, there's leverage to be had here. Like mapping out a foundational plan for the nest was something I did early in my leaving Google days, right? That was, um, and I think that it's been an awesome addition to the NLU business, whatever. Um, so, and being able to control your time, being able to say, you know what, I, I need to, like, I need to go for a walk. I need to get out of the, you know, as, as things have gotten bigger, I probably have less control over my time four years later. Um, but it's still nice to know that, like, it's, you're working on something that you own and operate and the independence is really, really rewarding. That can also be, I guess, the scariest part is you want, you want control over your business. You want independence that means that there's no safety net. So this time of year gets a little stressful. You know, it, it's, it's because, and you, I'll go back to something you just said five minutes ago. It's like, I'm, a, I'm also a disaster planner of like, I'm, maybe it's from my sales days. Like, don't get happy ears. Don't think, don't hear what you want to hear. Like contingencies. What are we going to do if this happens? You know, and then you start, yeah, you look at the macro economy. Hey, everybody's freaking laying people off. And like, what does that mean for us? What does that mean? So you're just constantly like, looking over your shoulder because there isn't a, you know, there's no, (laughs) there's no finance. No, I mean, yeah, we could go like raise financing, but like that's raising money and that that's so distracting, you know, from like the core of what we want to do, which is like inform and entertain a community of avid golfers. Like I don't really want to go raise money. That sounds like a very stressful and ultimately like giving up control, having someone tell you, you have to hit certain numbers. I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to that. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's short-sighted of me, but that's, that's where I'm at. So the, the independence is both the best thing and the worst thing um, because it's all on you, but in the same way, it's like, yo, it's all on us. Like, <laughs> so uh, I feel like that's, that's gotten a lot better over the last four years with just making sure that our business is diversified and we have, like, a, you know, enough partners where if, if one 
things go bad with one, which they haven't, which is great, then we're we're in a we're still in a good spot. Like, you know, we have enough runway. I, you know, COVID would help us with that too. Of just like when the world shut down. I mean, I remember we sat around the, the Kill House kitchen table and whiteboarded out like, okay, what's our what's our burn rate? What's our runway? If things are shut down for six months, you know, like, are we are we tight here? And it and it it was honestly, if you break it down like that, it was very, um, in a way, like secure, like made gave you some security of like, all right, we're good, we're good for like we have, you know, we got this much time, and it didn't end up having to be an issue, but it was it, you gotta you gotta think that way. Yeah, I what I would kind of pull or or attempt to pull more out of it from you is that. I read a ton of articles. My wife works for an employer who has unlimited paid time off. And I think if I've known based off of research that people have done and and those articles that have been written is that when you work in a company that has unlimited paid time off, most of the time those employees are taking zero paid time off. Nobody wants to ever raise their hand and say, yo, I need a break. I need to go take that walk or anything else like that. So how are you managing, just like you said, it used to be easier. Now it's getting harder as you go on your professional versus your personal time. Well, I all, I, I worked at a company like that before Google and I can echo that. You, you, but I was also in sales. And when you're in sales and you hit your number for a quarter, then you, you can fuck off for a couple of weeks until <laughs> the new quarter starts, uh, which usually sets you up to have a bad next quarter. But that's, I digress. Google had a vacation policy, but I, I stand by this. I've made this take before, and I stand by it. I think that everybody on the business side of Google could not go to work for a year, and the company would probably grow at, like, 14% instead of 20%. So you feel, which is bad. It, 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 it's, it leads to you feeling like, what am I doing, right? Which leads you to being like, cool, I don't mind taking time off. So going from that feeling, like, okay, now I'm, working for a company that I own and I have to like, if, if I don't do it, no one's, there's no cavalry coming. You know what I mean? There's no automation. Like if I don't do this, it's not going to be, it's not going to get done. Um, I prefer that. I find it much more worthwhile and fulfilling, but it probably doesn't lead to a ton of balance in life. Um, I feel like since the team has grown, things have come off my plate, but I also feel like I want to set an example I want to make sure I'm around to help so I think it probably in in 2023 a a priority would be for me better not so much delegation I feel like I'm decent at delegating but just like you know got to find some more time for for NG shoot now I think I do a pretty good job of like went on a two-week honeymoon it was great I you know I I do take time off it's just the I think the issue with our business is from a from a work-life balance standpoint is we're doing something that people would normally take time off to do as work. So it's yes. very easy. Sometimes it's like, is this work or is this, uh, you know, content, you know, like even sometimes I went and played golf last week with my buddies and it was like, this is just me playing golf. Right. But it's almost like hard for me to like get into that mindset sometimes, but I'm pretty good. The things that I'm, I am good at is I'm good at turning my phone off. I'm, I'm good at, you know, I don't look at it in bed. I've, I've gotten into a great habit of reading before bed. So at night, I try, once I shut the computer, leave this new office I've got, I try not to do a ton of work stuff or even like interact too much on our Slack, you know, and and, because that's when when the personal and the business stuff bleeds a little too much for me. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, there's immense freedoms that are in it, and I think it's based off of the business organization that you guys have built and what you guys kind of model, and that's it of a flat organization. There's no hierarchy. It's it's everybody's of the fives word is the same across the board, and if you want to get something, you usually, you know, we joke about it all the time, whip the votes or whatnot, but you figure it's out. An ex- it's been an experiment with, you know, we haven't, it's worked for eight years having a partnership, but it's funny. Like even my dad, my dad said it for years. He's like, just at some point the buck's got to stop with somebody, you know? And it's like, well, you know, I, I, that could become an issue. It probably slows some things down, but I think there's some, some value in it being slowed down and there being a true consensus on a lot of stuff we do. It, it probably leads to having to say things more than once and less speed, but I don't think that's a huge issue for our business. I think it probably benefits the content in a lot of ways. Like we have lots of ideas. A lot of them are bad ideas. So if they don't pass the committee, <laughs> they're not getting made. So I think, you know, in the military, specifically the units that I came from, we ran off of a flat, what we would say is a flat organization, which is hard to think of. And what I describe this as a flat organization is that everything leading up into the execution phase. So your, your planning, your preparation of it your deliberate thought process going into actions on everything else like that up to execution is a flat organization you ultimately just like your dad said the buck has to stop with someone or somebody ultimately has to be the decision maker and most of the time in trying to to bring the two together to bridge them it comes down to like a finance thing and i'm not saying that like Randy, who holds the checkbook, is the the king decision maker by any means. But if you had somebody out there, and and this is a question that we got from Stylish Giant, is what's your advice for people who work in a flat organization? What are things that you have noticed that have come up over time that are issues that you can improve? And then ultimately, I think we do a good job all the time of discussing and talking about the benefits of it, but there are some downsides as well. Well, I, I have a couple suggestions to that question, but I want to dig in on the flat organization. That's very That feels very unique in the military. It is. Now, is there, there's got to be some interpersonal stuff there of like tenure on the team. or Well, this is, this is the reason, and I'm not talking about... I'm talking about special mission units as a whole, where the, the whole reason why you are at that organization is because you went through the exact same assessment and selection program as your peers around you, as the men who were already in that building when you got there, and generations before you. There are deliberate steps and processes that are put into a pipeline to get you to that point where at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is mission success. Now, who qualifies some, you know, whatever it is as mission success most of the time, that's either the president of the United States or the secretary of defense. But that's the buck. That's where it stops. Sure. Up until that point, you are giving a task as a team, as an organization, you are figuring out the best way to accomplish that mission. It does not matter about egos. It does not matter about tenure. It does not matter about who is actually going to do it. All you care about as an organization is the success of that task that you've been given. So 
that and on like that sounds like you know I'm ready to I'm ready I'm ready to be on that squad. That sounds fucking Fuck yeah. awesome. Now, when you walked into that room for the first time, did you feel like you could speak up as as the rookie? Did you feel like did you feel like it was truly like a, a flat organization, or is like yo like I better take my my cues from the vets on this team? Like how how does that work? The feeling very much is a shut the fuck up, sit in the corner, don't break anything. Sure. That's the feeling that you have. But but also welcome to the team. <laughs> of course. Yeah. But over time, it is, and, and very quickly for me, is, you know, your teammates, you, you're going on target, you're accomplishing these things with your band of brothers. They quickly start to look at you and say, hey, man, like, you're not holding up your weight here. You'd say, why? I'm, my mouth is shut. I'm doing everything that you're telling me to do. My actions on target are exactly how they need to be. And we're accomplishing the mission. And they would challenge you and say, that's not why you're here. You're here to speak up. You were selected to be a voice in the room. And I know you think that you're a new guy and you're maybe a little timid to do that. But that's, that's the reason why you are at this organization. Because it does not matter in a flat organization, if you're the guy that's been there 20 years, beaten down the door, seen a million things, or if you're a new guy who just showed up, ideas come from everywhere. And you feel like... like Some of them might be really fucking dumb, sure. but that's part, that's part of your growth. That's, that's something that you have to overcome. There's a reason why it's not just the physical part of a selection. It's the... I would say that like... 70% of your evaluation process is more on the psychological. And you do a million tests, not only bubble, but interactive with, you know, you sit down with shrinks and everything else like that to figure out how you're not just there because you can carry something because you can shoot really good. You're there because you're filling a gap, a need for that team. But it does take time. Yeah, it's got to be earned. 100%. But if there is a culture of... And, and I, I'm a big believer in that, too, even with our, our squad. Like, I want self-starters. I want people that, like, and I've said this to you. I've said it to everybody. It's like, yo, like I said earlier, there's no, like, backup here. So, like, if I say, like, hey, I need you to get this done, if you don't get it done, that means I'm going to do it. <laughs> like, that's why I'm right. giving it to you. So, like, if you have a question, I will love to answer your question. But, like, I hope it's a question that you can't find on your own. Right. Or if it's 100%. like, hey, I want you to take a look at this and review it. Like my, one way that I work really well is like I'm very good at starting stuff from zero, but it takes a lot of time. I'm also very good at like, yes, what I call like, yes, and which is something that DJ and Randy, I talk about on strapped a lot of like, yeah, and let's do this, it, like adding to stuff. So if you put like an outline in front of me, then I can take that and run. Right. And it, it saves me so much time from going from zero to to 20 and I can get it to 60. I like, I love that. I love, the, I, that's why I like the flat organization. In the interrogation world, that would be a direct follow on. That's, that, that's not just your basic interrogatives that you ask questions by, which are who, what, when, where, why, how, but then it moves into why else, how else. And really when you get good and get seasoned over time, it just becomes very easy to use. All right, go on. 
Yeah. All right, go on. And you just become natural with these gestures of me asking a question, somebody spilling their guts, hopefully, because you got them to that point where they're primed enough to tell you the correct answers and they're not lying their asses off at you. And you're just looking for little triggers and little things to pull to just be like, okay, we're just going to continue and we're going to try to suck as much juice as possible out of this. But those are things that you learn over time. And you have to be very comfortable within your skin in order to do that. I think there's a there's also like a very nuanced difference with self-sufficiency or, or it's like you don't want to be like, hey, go do this and don't ask me anything. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm yes. saying is go do this, figure it out, but then check in. Hey, what do you think of this is much better than like, hey, where do I, like, I don't know how to do this. It's like, well, listen, you can probably figure that, but like try to figure it out and then ask me what I think of it. And I'll tell you it's good, bad, or it needs to improve in these ways. But there's a, like a nuance, like a checking in is different than, than, than just like throwing your hands up, I guess is the, the way I, I think about it. Um, 100%. which is how I, you know, when I came on board, like that's how I tried to operate. It's like, okay, I'm going to try to do this as, as, until I hit a roadblock or I'm like, hey, I, I should probably get somebody to check this so that I'm on the right track. Because the, the other thing you don't want to do is go and try to do it all yourself and then get to this thing you think is totally done. And then it just like nukes your confidence when someone's like, hey, man, that's not what I wanted. God, you are you're just preaching out of McChrystal's <laughs> teams of teams right now. Is that is that the big homie? Holy cow. There we go. But you're right. It is difficult. And a flat organization is not really flat, okay? At the, at the end of the day, everybody likes to think it's a flat organization, but ultimately, there is a decision maker somewhere. And I don't think we don't have a flat organization. I think there's there's no, like, head of NLU, but every, there's heads of divisions of NLU, right? Everybody has, like, roles and responsibilities, which we're getting better at defining, and that's a lot of that's because you're on board and it needs to be a little bit more specific of who should you come to if you have a question. But back to the original question. Damn, like, you're just saying that I'm the guy that's out there like asking a million questions. All no, the time? no, no, not at all. Not at all. But also like it's, I, I've, I've was not concerned, but I, I can't imagine how jarring that is for you to go from the most hierarchical organization on the planet, the army into one that's like, yeah, man, let's just go and, we'll, you know, do this and follow ideas and be creative. And there's not a ton of structure, which I think we've we've changed a lot of that over the years, over the last but, year or two. Yes, but from the very beginning, I had tasks that I were given. I created little micro goals out of them that built into, you know, worked with my macro goals. And slowly over time, you start clipping away and you figure out what you're doing and you're learning new tasks and everything like that. And then you come back around and say, okay, I got this shit done. What, what else? What's next? I think, I think my suggestions for somebody that's running a small team, small organization is if you have any experience from a big organization, like I've still, I've stolen so much shit from Google, like ideas and processes and stuff, because what happens is those processes that actually kind of get in the way at a big company, they make a massive impact on a small company. Note-taking, agendas. I think one thing that, that we do and we should do more of, and I, and it's laborious and you never win this war is one-on-one -on -one meetings. I think they're so impactful. They can become a slog if you, if you don't do them properly or you do them too often, but like 
having regular check-ins because what you can what you can fall in the trap of at a small company is you know we meet every Monday and we all talk as a group but those have to be very tactical and structured and so people don't end up saying what they really think and that's yeah. where you can get into trouble down the road of like on a project that actually it turns out two or three people don't want to do this project and they they just but they don't want to say that in front of the entire group so you got to make sure that you're you're checking in one-on-one. I think that is a, and, and, and tracking the notes and making sure that you're, you know, cause that there's so much context and like stuff that builds over time with those kind of meetings. So that would, those are, those are, I mean, those answers are simple. They're not easy though, because you gotta, you gotta show up for those meetings. You gotta be available. Right. But if you, if you, if you block them, like another thing that's helped is like try to stack your meetings like Mondays, Tuesdays, and then Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you get less and less. It's like, if I'm having a meeting on Friday, it better be like, okay, we have to do this. <laughs> you know, like I don't really want to have any meetings on Fridays. My last position in the military, I literally bounced from meeting to meeting to meeting all day long, five days a week. Everybody says they want to be the boss, Cody, but then and it turns out all you're doing is, is it you was. Know, it putting was, out fires and managing yes. people. It was horrible. I was like, first of all, when the fuck am I supposed to like do the stuff that I actually need to do to prepare for like these for meetings, sure. to prepare myself for the shit that like my routine stuff that I have to do. When was the last time I went to the range? When was the last time I did any of this? I'm like, what the fuck, man? Like, why are we spending so much time in meetings? There has to be a better way than this. But meetings, if you can, if you structure them, I agree. It, it can add a ton of leverage, man. It can, it's just like one of those pulleys. It can really, it can really speed up the work if you meet effectively. But I'm, you know, I'm scarred from too many meetings at other organizations. Meeting just to meet, meeting to make the manager feel like he's in charge, shit like that. I can't stand that stuff. Like I hate, I hate activity mistaken for achievement. Shit, I hate. Yes, it. meeting just a meeting just for a meeting. Same thing of, oh, why? Hey, all of our shit's done today. Why aren't we going home? Well, because it's not five o'clock yet. Well, FaceTime too. That shit pisses me off more than anything. Yeah. It's a good transition here. Question from Seamonk28 on Instagram. Things Neil misses about working for Uncle Sir. Oof. Oof. You touched on uh, a couple of them there. No, I don't miss those things. Actually, when I was at Google, the, those things were like eye, massive eye rolls for me. But then you, you again, you go to, a small company and it's like the big companies just do too much of it. It's like too much of a good thing is a bad thing. Whereas at a small company, it's like, you're not doing any of it. So a little bit of that is going to make a massive impact. So that's what I, I learned that very quickly. Uh, what do I miss? I miss breakfast. I miss, I miss the, I used to show up. I'd be the at 8am. I was ready to ride. I got the bomb breakfast at Google every day. Looked forward to going to work to get that food. That, that was, that was impactful. Thank you to what the else? shareholders out there for for, for sure. Kid. No, I mean, and it, but it similar to what Yari was saying about the you know unlimited vacation. Like the food thing makes you stick around. It makes you work harder. Like it's yep. it's a sneaky productivity tool. It's probably. I mean, I'm sure they've analyzed it 50 different ways on like cost benefit analysis, and I'm sure it's it, it's that's why they keep doing it. You know, having an office in like every city in the world. And having a badge that would get you into that was like having a freaking Soho house. Like you get off a red eye plane, you could go, you know, take a shower and 
like get breakfast was a massive benefit of of working there. Just being able to, you know, traveling, knowing that you kind of had a, you know, and also like, you know, Google had like a really robust security, like GSOC, Global Security Operations Center, where like hey. if you got into trouble somewhere, like they were going to help you, which was nice to know. Uh, like this, ho- this household is very, very familiar with. <laughs> I'm sure, GSOC. you know, it's like a fucking real deal. Like, you know, they got the Pinkerton boys all over the world. Uh, For sure. So that's that kind of stuff. Just like the the support of a large organization was great. They also had a, you know, imagine this, like Google's mission is to organize the world's information and make it easily accessible. Um, You could argue that they they have some ulterior motives to that, but they also have a very organized internal uh, system. Like they had these short links called Go links and like Go slash perks would be like, there were so many perks, like you could get drum lessons and they'd pay, you know, like just personal, th- there was a, a uh, mindset of like personal growth over there that I, you know, I, and I'm, I'm geared towards that type of, I love, you know, goals, learning things, whatever. And they made it easy to take action on that a lot easier than it is for me to take action on that stuff now, I guess. Like it's, it's just a little easier, like to invest in that when all the information's on a page in front of you and they're going to give you some money to start doing lessons. Whereas now it's like, oh yeah, I'd love to do a masterclass on this or that. And it's just like, ah, you know, just inertia. I'm not going to do it. So those would be my two answers. What do you miss about the army, Cody? Ooh, I don't know if this is a good answer in the, the month of November, 2022. I'm very, very fortunate that I was in the military at a time where you had a common goal, and that was to defeat terrorism worldwide. You support and defend your allies to every possible extent, and it was like very, very clean cut to me. That started changing in 2014 when we started to really look at I ran and they started bucking around and then in 2016 North Korea and like those problem sets is what the his- historical like military problem sets were but that's not my generation. I'm a GWAP baby, man. We play fast and loose. We come up with whatever mission it's going to be. We plan it, we execute it, we come back and we say, hey, where's more? Where's our next follow-on? What's GWAT? Feed the what, beast. Is that? what does that mean? Global War on Terror. <laughs> the GWAT. Nobody baby. does acronyms like the Army. For sure. And we had a, what, you know, really, like an unlimited budget to do it. It was phenomenal. Now, there's a mass exodus going on from the military right now. A lot of them just because of my peers who were in the GWAT from for its entire duration are finally hanging it up because there's a new problem set on the horizon. A lot of what's going on in Ukraine, a lot of what continues to roll over in Yemen, both with from the Saudi side, the Iranian side, a lot of proxy war stuff, and then continuing to long problem sets of China, Iran, North Korea. It's a very complicated 
and delicate situation that I don't think a lot of people understand the nuance of it, specifically from the United States, Great Britain, Australia, Canada's perspective of world power and trying to desperately hold the lid on this pressure cooker as it continues to whistle and bubble and and we're just trying to make sure the top doesn't blow off. So it's a different time. It's a different world. It's a different military. I don't know if I miss, like I can't see myself in that military right now, uh, which I think is a good place for me to find myself in looking back two years Two years removed from it now. What I miss, I miss the camaraderie. I miss the, you go to work and you have basically like a, a baseline schedule of what you're going to do. But like all the the freedom to think and explore and the challenge of a new problem set. And it might be the same old mission, but you can literally draw something up a million different ways. You name it. You you literally name it. The world is your oyster. So I miss that. I miss the problem-solving aspect of it. Miss the camaraderie. But I would say that I have found good replacements from them in our current line of work because I am challenged now by, instead of bad guys to go hunt and where they're at, their golf courses to find and figuring out how to go get on them and shoot them and film them and and bring them to our audience. It's places to explore with my new band of brothers and sisters to bring fresh and exciting stories uh, that hopefully, you know, serve and entertain and and everything else that we talk about all the time. I mean, but, I got to I got to think you missed the uh, you got to miss the toys. But uh, that's where I was going. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's not just the toys. What I would say, it's the tools. There's sure. a, a lot of different tools for every job. And it, uh, man, when you're given like the, the Vegas buffet option of tools and you're just like, I pick whatever's best, like it's, it's, a, it's a good spot to be in. <laughs> that's it. It's very, that's very cool. At times, though, I do... I, I like, you know, I lived for six months completely by myself in a makeshift prison that I built in northern Syria. The only other American that I had there with me was my, one of my best friends who was also a backup linguist for me, just in case things started popping off and I, I needed help. I would go in... I was probably uh, 70 miles away from the nearest joint base. So I'd say an American, French, British base that was, uh, that they were, we were embedded with the Kurdish folk in northern Syria. And I literally would live out there for three weeks on completely by myself, just rely on communications back. So my radios, I had internet. And uh, living my life, man, cooking my own food, living Are off, they the, living off the land. No stuff. No, no. What, no. You get like a convoy come in every every couple days. Uh, occasionally, but I would usually do that just to go get some extra fuel. Uh, I had four uh, fifty-five gallon drums of 
diesel fuel that I carried around in the back of my uh, quad cab Toyota Hilux that was just <laughs> pimped out. Like the, the sweetest fucking war truck. I called it my war truck you can ever imagine. <laughs> reinforced suspension. It was... Was armored, it manual? But was it what is it a stick shift? Of course. Of yes. Course. Everything except in the US. I go to Argentina. Every freaking car is a stick shift. It's incredible. And you truck, can't find a stick shift in the US. I know. I know. But this truck, man, it was just like, you know, what you would think, like, you know, the fancy little like uh Chevy like Colorados or whatever now. For sure. But this this Hilux, diesel Hilux. I welded racks. I had a roof rack on the top. I had racks off the side of the bed. It was up-armored, like I said, but most up-armored vehicles, you cannot roll down the windows. This one, you could roll down the window a little bit. I had, you know, I took out the dash and built uh, custom inserts for all my tablets, so I had all my maps, and it was a mobile command center. And, man, this thing was so, so sick. The, Uh, The Hiluxes were big down in Argentina. And I actually was talking to uh, one of the guys that was he was in Patagonia, and he was like, "Yeah, you can't. They don't make them for the U.S. You can't no, get you can't get them. Which, can't get them. That's wild. So can't, when I first got it, it was brand new, like pearly white. I immediately I covered the entire thing in mud, so it wouldn't be like stick out like crazy. And then over time, I eventually had a little bit of of free time and spray painted the entire body of it." Uh, so it was camouflage and just looked like dirt. So I could park out literally in the middle of the desert and nobody would recognize what it is. How um, much, those six months, how much downtime do you have? You have a lot of kind of waiting, sitting around, fiddling. Because it goes in waves, man. War's a, a finicky thing. You can be as busy or as as bored, I guess, as you want. You knowing me, obviously. Uh, when I would start to get bored, I would go ruffle ruffle some feathers and fire something up. And uh, what I mean by that is that I would go get in a firefight somewhere, and I would I would take whatever detainees I could get. Uh, what? Because uh, not to cut you off, but what what is this? What is the strategy of why are you on your own, or you and and your linguist? Like, why wouldn't there be a team of five of you in that? <laughs> that makeshift like why would they want to put you like, I know you're with the you know your Kurdish buddies but like you know you're a very valuable asset to the United States military why would they want you to be solo because at the time there's only you're only allowed like 150 Americans allowed boots on ground in Syria so if you think about it you have a 12 man team of us and in order to for us to be like operational with like our helicopters and everything else like that, like the air crews and maintenance for them is a lot of people, not only for like infill, exfill options, but medevac specifically. That seems like a high number, but really it's not. That means that there's really, it only gives you like, you know, a 16th of that of people on the ground actually being able to operate. So that's why uh, the rest of the guys were continuing out doing clearance operations. So, uh, you know, they're out on a different side of it. There's an, we're trying to clear an entire country and are they coming back to you basically? Yeah. Yeah. So they would basically go in my head. I'm thinking you're out way out, like behind enemy lines for lack of a better term. I know it's not like a normal 
type of enemy line situation. But there's also 11 other guys from your team that are, like, pushing even farther out and then bringing people back to you, basically. Yep. Got yep. it. The that issue is, is that as you continue to expand that forward line, there's nobody there to, like, reinforce it. So it's just an imaginary line on a map. You yeah. don't realize that, like, once you zoom in on that imaginary line that you think is, like, so so secure, it's, like, people it's just, just open, like, and people are, like, constantly coming it, in all It's the like time. the Maginot line. People can just yeah. come around. <laughs> like, dude, we were I, – I probably moved, I don't know, over, like, 25 different sites because we were either compromised. We had – Two different times, there's, you know, detainees that I ended up releasing because they were innocent, and they immediately went back and told fucking ISIS where we were at and came and fucking with suicide bombers and tried to blow us all up. A couple V-bid scares. Like, you name it. And when you're like, vehicle-borne IEDs. So when they Ah. put bombs all over cars and they try to drive them into you and blow you up, it's not a fun situation, Neil. No, that Um, sucks. Makes it hard to sleep. You don't really sleep at night because you're yeah. just constantly on guard. What you would do is you would wait until daybreak because that the old saying, you know, the French and the Indians used to attack at, at dawn. And you would wait until that, and then I'd have my little Kurdish hitters out on top pulling security in them basically from like 7 a.m. to noon, and that's when I would sleep. And you start up and do the whole day over again. So why? Because um, at the time, I was the only intelligence collection capability on the ground. There's no better form of intelligence than human intelligence. And the faster and closer you are from the point of capture to collecting that information and getting it back out and pinpointing locations and VBIDs and IED lines and everything else, the easier it is to be offensive during this operation. So that's why you learn a lot though. That's I just learned a lot. That's great stuff. All right. That's enough war stories for now though. God, you know, I could go for Uh, hours with you on that shit. Gets me jacked up. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. It's crazy to look back. I see pictures all the time scrolling through my phone. Once I get past the million pictures that the girls take (laughs) because they all want to be photographers and, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, this is, like, this is me here, and this is me there, and, like, uh, it's really cool. I know that Sally's a big time hop guy. I bet your time hop's a lot more interesting than <laughs> than his is. <laughs> yeah, probably. He's been in some cool spots, so. Hey, you did a, you had a big physical goal this year, and that was the, your big climb with your buddies. Is there anything you're looking forward to or have on the agenda for 23? Uh, I, you know, I miss marathon day here in the city. It was NIT Sunday. Um, I, I never had the desire to run a marathon. Uh, I do love watching the marathon pass through New York city. It's a great day. I, I, I don't think that's it. I'm still, still pretty anti running. It doesn't make me feel very good. Um, but probably considered it more the last like month or two than, than something else. I don't have anything right now. I need to work on it. Now I have challenged you and DJ to a potential, uh, 10 strain challenge in the month of December. So we might have to ramp that up. I think that would be a good, good time of year to do it with, with the holiday festivities rolling around. Just, you know, Hey, get 10. You just got to get 10 or DJ had a good update. Either get 10 or you had a, like a a logged workout. Yes. Cause sometimes the whoop will, won't give you enough credit for like a, 
you know, lifting weights or something. But like, if you log a legitimate workout, we'll we'll accept that potentially as a ten. Um, so we're, we're working through that. I think that's probably the way I'm going to finish the year. And then that buys me an, a month to figure out what next year's goal is. Now the old plan in the days of the kid was, you know, you alternate, you have a year of achievement and then you have a year of the fuck boy. As I, you know, past the 33 number, it's probably harder to come back from the year of the fuck boy. <laughs> also being married makes that a little harder too. So I don't know if, Next year will be a year of the fuck boy, but we'll we'll have to put some December is my deep reflection, you know, recap to twenty twenty two and then get ready for some twenty three goals. But I think I've done pretty well on my goals this year. Yeah. How I about agree. you? You got any anything that you're looking to do? Well, I'm honestly DJ and I set the goal of losing twenty two pounds in the year of twenty two. Which I think you knocked I, out of the park, right? I've surpassed that. Hell yeah. yeah. Like twenty eight pounds this year. And I think I'm going to do it again next year because I, I want to get back into, like, my legit fighting weight. How far you got? How far do you have to go for that? I think I'm going to go another 20 pounds, which seems crazy. Sheesh. But that'll put me at, like, 50 pounds in two years, which I think would be pretty cool. That's like your wrestling days, my guy. Yeah. So I think we're going to go there because ultimately my body feels good. Sleeping a little bit better outside of this head cold that, you know, the kids and their Petri dish of, daycare that they go to every day they bring back something new but I think that's where I'm going to go I would like to get as my body gets better my golf swing starts to feel yes I feel that too I I would like to play like decent golf again yeah it's difficult gotta find I still don't really have a place to practice or or play or or anything else like that but I'm going to get it figured out I'm still trying to adapt to this new life in the plex and and, you know, there's a lot of things. Just, I mean, I got to figure out if I want to get better. I, we were, Tyler and I were just out doing some stuff with some Callaway staffers and did some, like, lesson videos with them. And I, I was explaining to them, like, hey, you know, I've gone from an eight to a two. And the, the it's like the weight room. The easy gains are gone, right? Yep. So, if like, if you want to get from a two to a zero, like, you got to figure out a plan. And New York City is not making that plan any easier. It's doable. But we gotta we gotta figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna how we're gonna do that. So I'm with you there. I would like to play better golf, but I would also like to acknowledge that my golf has gotten a lot better over the last yes four years. for sure. I don't feel like I've I, I don't feel like I'm done yet. If that makes sense. But I agree with you too. I think a, a key piece of that is staying in shape. I would credit a lot to a very simple like maintenance stuff. The key is don't get out of shape. I'm, I'm starting yes. to realize. Like I've never, you can't, you can't redline the the fitness. Like I burn out on that. I, I'm just not a like God. I got to go hard four times a week guy. But I've really fallen into like a good, like on a week where I'm traveling, like NIT week or something. It's like okay, let's get two in, and it's gonna look like I'm gonna run a couple miles, or I'm gonna do the elliptical, and I'm gonna get the heart rate going, which has been great. And then I mix in, I do fifty. Like like five sets of ten body squats and five sets of ten push ups or pull ups or five sets of six pull ups. Let's be honest. And I do that before I get on the elliptical or run, and then after I get off, I do that same five. So I do a hundred body squats. Is basically what I'm getting at. Or if you go on a run outside, stop and and knock out ten twenty body squats. 
to like catch your breath. And I, you know, I don't have any science behind this, but I feel like that has made my lower body feel great, right? Like I'm not putting weight on my back. I'm not, I'm not stressing my hips out too much, which I think I've got some labrum issues in my hips. So I, I'm very careful about trying to keep them loose. And I feel like the body squats kind of help with mobility and also just like, you know, if I haven't done them for a couple of weeks, like I'm going to be sore after a hundred body squats. Right. But I also don't think that it's not like the kind of soreness where I can't walk and then I'm not going to work out for another week because I'm so damn sore. So I'm, I'm really, I'm a big believer in the body weight stuff as, as a way to maintain. Right. I don't yes. think that's like the, the end all be all, but like, if you can't do anything else, like th- there is no excuse for not knocking out 50 to a hundred of those, if you're going to do some cardio. Right. And just like do something. Yeah, yeah. You stop just, stop thinking about it. Stop making up excuses. Like, just go fucking do something. If that means going for a walk, yes. go for a walk. If you have a fucking call that you're going to take that you know you don't have to be camera on, you can throw some earbuds on, get out of the house and go fucking move. Like, it's so simple when you when you boil it down. A credit to New York, the New York lifestyle. In Florida, I, I found that I didn't leave the kill house much, and it was simply because I was getting in the car. And that was enough friction to be like, ah, I don't want to run that errand. Even though it's like, it's a lot easier to go to the grocery store with a car or, you know, go get like, technically it's easier, but it was like, I don't really want to like make the turn on the A1A that's going to, I'm going to have to like play Frogger and just little, it's like the very little stupid thing. And now it's like every errand I go on, it's like, oh, it's an excuse to go for a walk. I'm going to throw a podcast on, I'm listening to more pods. I love doing that. Right. So I find myself leaving my apartment two, three times a day which leads to me, you know, like walking places, which is like a lot of it is it's it sometimes it is really that simple of like just be on your feet more. A lot of people want to know what uh Icarito listens to. What podcasts you got grinding on? Are they business related? Are they some sort of personal growth? What you know, how do you break them up? It depends. Um I do so like I was just on, I was just traveling yesterday. I I love to download before flights uh, these business breakdown pods, and I'm a, a past guest on the business breakdown podcast. I love what those guys do. I just listened to the one on Vanguard. I just listened to the one on Fanatics. They were both excellent. Uh, I I just find I usually come away from those conversations with a nugget or two that's relevant to NLU, but also just like it's interesting to hear the history of the founders, the history of businesses, different business models. And they usually bring on like a, a really like energetic guest, like a, either a financial analyst, a writer. There was one on Rolex with the guy that started Hodinkee that was epic, like just fascinating business Rolex has. And so it's a little bit like the How I Built This Pause podcast, but I find that podcast to be a little bit too much like, you know, Guy Raz is like, I mean, how did you, how did you do this? Like... <laughs> It's not, whereas this one's more like, all right, break it. How does this company make money? Like, how did it start? Like, what's its biggest challenge? I find that the questions to be a little better than just like the founder's like whitewashed story of how, yeah, man, it's just like, you know, we just worked really hard and it went well. It's like, that's not how, that's not, the founders are always going to have a, a bias, right? It's gra- yeah. They're going to look back and see the, see the good stuff. So. I, I, some of those, I've gotten a lot out of how I built this pod, but I, I find the business breakdown is a better version of that kind of pod for me. And I, I love them because they're evergreen. So like, if you go back in the archives, like 
there's one from John Deere and Universal Music Group from years ago. Those are just as relevant right now as they were a year ago. So those are great for flights and for travel. Uh, they also feel low stakes. Like I can fall asleep when I listen to them. Um, I like, I still listen to Simmons, Bill Simmons and, and Cousin Sal. Simmons, you know, he can get on my nerves a little bit, but I find that they're, if I'm trying to look for, you know, I've been pretty deep in the NFL this year. So I'll, I'll usually check in on their guest the line stuff on Mondays. Um, I will, I will scan the daily, the New York times daily. Yep. I, I, it's just so much election stuff and I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a better podcast. So I'll put this out to the audience of like a, a current events, what's going on today. I like the, I like the length of the daily podcast. It's almost like inertia that that's, you know, shows up in my Spotify homepage. So I check it, but then I'm like, I find myself like, I'm not really into the top, a lot of the topics, but you know, I'll, I'll listen. I like the guy from the New York times. It's the, the Russian bureau chief. Like, so when he comes on to do a Ukrainian update, I'll listen to that. So it's a little guest dependent on that one, but they've got this, you know, they got this whole, like this guy, Esther, the election stuff. I'm just like, ah, I'm good on that. I'm good there. So like, you know, I should, I should probably look at for like an NPR or like maybe there's a wall street journal or some, some other type of daily. Hey, just hit me with the news of the day for 20 minutes. That's a good one for some of these walks I go on. Um, I listen to Patrick O'Shaughnessy, uh, invest like the best. He has some good, that's guest dependent though, but he brings on some, some kind of macroeconomic thinkers and, you know, people just talk about like business, the economy, things like that. So that's, that's one that I check weekly to see who he's, uh, who he's riding with. Of, of course, the trap draw, try to check in, get my chop session fix. Uh, if I'm not on the NLU pod, I will listen to the NLU pod. <laughs> But sometimes I, if I'm on it, I, I don't, maybe I should, maybe it'll help me, you know, do a little personal criticism. Um, that's kind of what I'm, that's what I'm rolling with. Downrange, check in, you know, horse guest dependent, but, uh, I'm always, let me put it this way. I am open to some new ones. I, I, I struggle a little bit with like the, like, I listened to the Jocko pod with that Chris Voss guy. Then I picked up his book. Loved the book. So that was great. But I, I struggle with the three-hour and 45-minute pods. like the And that's on, like, his short end of it. I know. It's, it's like that and the Lex Friedman stuff that everybody keeps yeah. pimping. And, like, even Ferris, it's like, God, dude, I don't really have time to go for for over two hours. But but I'll check. Just, you know, it depends on the guest. It, it, it truly... If you kept, if you peek my interest in the description box, you, you could get me. But um, I need to get some new ones in the uh, in the rotation. I, 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 you know, I'm I'm open to. I'll listen to part of my take sometimes, but that that stuff's almost a little bit like too um, pointless <laughs> sometimes for me. Like, you know, I'll, I'll get like 30 minutes in, and I got like my NFL update, and I'm like, all right, I'm good. But like, yeah, you know, I I, I don't need the three hours from them as well. So um, I, I don't have enough time. I have time when I'm traveling, but I don't have enough time. Like I don't do well listening to podcasts while I work. I, I need music. I, I can't have words. I can't have voices. I have my own voice in my head. I can't have other people's voices. And I know a lot of people are different than that. So I listen when I'm, when I'm on a walk or something and that's so I, you know, or I'm traveling. So that's where I have some, a chance to do the long form stuff is when I'm on a plane. 
Um, is there anything that you used to be an avid listener of that you've soured to over time? Um, I've definitely soured on Ferris. Uh, I, it, it, he still gets good guests, so it's guest dependent, but he kind of bugs me. Uh, just, uh, just generally, uh, <laughs> don't mean to throw shade, but, uh, the, let's see who else. Uh, I mean, Simmons, I used to listen to a lot more Simmons, but now it's a little bit like, I know, I, I think honestly, I, I do like him and Rosillo still uh, like, it's a good, yeah. he's probably better on the NBA, but the NFL stuff, I, I listen to the ringer NFL stuff, but and it, and it, but it informs a little bit of, of for us too of like sometimes the NFL show on the ringers like there's there's a different there's too many different guests right so I'm like ah but you know I'm not it's like I don't know what I'm getting the pot the whole podcast strategy ecosystem is fascinating of like and then we've gone through this too of like hey maybe we should bring on more guests on like the Sunday recaps like I, I think you know I don't know man like when I go try to listen to a like recap pod from those guys like I want to hear from them. Right, so that's there's a factor there where it's just like hard to say about your own stuff. We're like, oh well, I you know I'd rather listen to rather. I, I feel like people are probably sick of hearing from me. You know what I mean? Like we should bring on more guests, <laughs> and it, maybe that's not the case. So it's well, um, I mean they're clearly downloading, watching whatever it is because of like that's what they expect. Yes. So there's there's almost so many pods now that it's like oh, it's Netflix nuts. issue. There's a bit of a paralysis. So then you end up like. You're trying to make this decision in the 30 seconds you have to walk out the door and you end up, you know, falling back on inertia, like what you've listened to for years and years. So I'm open to some recommendations if people have them, but like I, I have been vibing with the business breakdown stuff. Have you dabbled with any other podcasts in the golf space? Um, yeah, I listen to Shotgun Start from time to time. Um, but I honestly like, I do the golf stuff for a living. And I find that I need to get my head somewhere else a little yep. bit. So that's more of a personal thing. That is not a, not a critique of anybody else's pod. It's more like I'm listening to our pods to make them better in a way. Right. But like, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty well versed in what's going on in the golf world. Um, so I, I try to use the podcast as a way for, to like we were talking about earlier, like work-life balance. Like the pods are, that's my time, right? Yeah. So that's why I, I probably shy away from them a little bit. Do you still find enjoyment in golf, even though golf is now also your business? I do. I, I truly love the sport of golf. I, I get a little exhausted with the professional game. Um, I get a little exhausted with the, you know, the drama of this year in golf, but I think that it's just a very it's a rich tapestry a lot of history there's a lot and I love history so that's I'm drawn to that aspect of it there's a lot of context um I think there's a lot of ways the game could improve but overall I think it's awesome I I I truly still love the topic of golf so that's not the um that's not the issue and that's not why I like if I wasn't working in golf I would listen to more golf podcasts right I think as we've seen in the last two, three years, a lot of big name people in the podcast space, content space, move over to a Rogan or Call Her Daddy to Spotify. And then you saw, you know, I used to watch Lebetard was in the team room every single day. Really? Like I did not miss 
a Lebetard show. I haven't listened in two years. And honestly, I don't even really know what Metal Arc has going on. I, I don't, maybe I'm just out of it so much that I have no clue. But what have you learned, I guess, from seeing all those people transition out of owning their own IPs and, and kind of going and saddling up to people that lessons learned, I guess, for, for you and how you look at the business or? Well, the, the podcast p- platform space is very interesting. Based on our census, I've seen Spotify has, based on our responses, Spotify's up like 25, 30% as far as people, like I'm listening to my podcast on Spotify. I almost feel like, hey, I'm paying for this service. I might as well move. It's a better interface. Um, going exclusive to a platform has never been a, would not be a, a good business decision for us. I mean, because it's still only maybe 30, 40% of our listeners are coming from Spotify. So I question that strategy from them um, as a, you know, I, I, my guess is that signing up a Rogan, a Caller Daddy exclusively is a lead gen tool for them. Um, but I don't know. I'm curious, you know, how effective that is for them. It seems like, based on their last earnings call, Spotify is cutting a lot of their originals. So I doubt, I, I'm, I'm sure, I, I bet Rogan's probably been successful for them, but I wonder, but you know, like the, the, the ringer is still on all platforms. You know, there's certain, they haven't done it with everybody, right? I don't know. I think that the podcast medium though is not going anywhere, right? I, I think it's a very effective, engaging, immersive type of content that I love to consume and look forward to consuming. And I'm thrilled that that is a big part of our business. So I, I feel like validated in the fact that we are in the right spot at the right time. And but, but there's, there's also, it's like anything else. Like there's no shortcuts, especially now with everybody and their sister starting podcasts. They, there's no shortcut to like get, gathering an audience. It's just like any other platform. Like you got to work at it. You got to be consistent. You got to find your voice. So that makes me feel also good about like doing things the right way. You know this, like with, with downrange, like it's, yeah. you know, there's a, there's, it's a, you got to stick with it. But if you do, I think it's very rewarding and it, it can turn into a very sustainable uh, business. Yeah. If, if you had the, the power to look back and tell 18-year-old Neil, give him some advice, knowing what the future up to 33-year-old Neil was, what, uh, what, what would you think you'd tell him? Is this your question or is this from the audience? This is a question from William Jelly on IG. Jelly, best advice for your 18-year-old self? That's a good question. And I know it's a popular question that people ask. I would say, you're, you know, you're going to, like, fail and look stupid a lot. Like, go back to even, like, college football. Like, don't be scared to jump in as a D-back in one-on-ones against the senior. Yes, he's going to beat you on a slant route, but, like, you need the reps, dude. Just get get as many reps as you can and like embrace, embrace the fail, embrace the suck as, as you, you boys like to say, uh, that would probably like, just do it, get it over with, get it out of the way. Like you're, you're going to be good enough. Like, don't worry. Like if you don't do it now, you're going to fail in the game later on in your career. So just do it now and you're going to get better. 
that would be, I think, something that I ended up doing pretty well later, like after college, uh, in my career. I think I think failing in football set me up to be like, cool, I'm just going to, like, in sales, like, I'm just going to try to close deals, you know, and, like, I'm going to close some bad ones, and I'm going to learn from them. So I think it's, I know it's a cliche, but, like, failing pretty quickly, but then also, like, don't make the same mistake twice. Like, be... Like you got to watch the film. You got to you got to get better. Uh, those would be my like, and, and also with with jobs of like, uh, you know what? I got one for you. Eighteen year old self. This is specific for an eighteen year old. Go to office hours. Go talk. Like I go to this freaking great institution. Regardless of TC and Randy saying you know they're fucking up these days. Columbia, great institution, <laughs> Nobel Prize winners economists like unbelievably successful professors they they are they are being paid to sit in a room and wait for you to walk in and they have to talk to you yeah and i did not take advantage of that and then you learn like in sales your whole job is like go try to get time with influential people decision makers whatever you want to call them man that would have been great practice you know i probably would have learned and some of it was like i was lazy some of it was like i was intimidated but, like, I should have gone to office hours. I think that would have been a, a really good use of my time and a, a great way to uh, get a lot more out of my college education. And I, I wish I would have done that. Damn. So what you're saying is take advantage of the opportunities in front of you. Don't yeah. be afraid of failure. And, and it goes back to, like, I think we talked about it last time I was on downrange. Like, that leads to, like, you know, seeking out mentors. Right. Cause now it's like, it's the same thing now. It's like, I gotta, you know, you gotta read, you gotta, you gotta reach out and you're almost scared of like, oh, that's going to lead to more work. Or what if he thinks I'm stupid or who, whatever it is. It's just like, that is, it kind of goes hand in hand with like, well then just figure that out now and fail quicker. And then you'll figure out like how to develop mentors and get influential people to like take an interest in what you have going on. I, I really think that, it comes like that office hours example sticks with me. It's like, damn dude, that was like a fucking miss. And I really felt that way. Like right after I graduated and I was in sales trying to like get CEOs to like get on the phone with me. It's like, God, that would have been like a great way to practice that, you know, and you yeah. can, you office hours, you can talk about whatever the fuck you want with these guys. Like they're an expert in their field. Hey, what do you think about this? Like, what do you think? About, like we had this guy that taught like history of the city of New York, fascinating professor, this guy, Kenneth Jackson. I think he, he passed away. Uh, like, such a such a stud. I would have loved to just go in and talk about the history of New York with the guy, right? Like, why didn't I do that? I loved his class. Couldn't wait to go to his class, but I just didn't really develop any type of relationship with the guy. But, oh, he don't want to talk to me. I'm just some random student. Check it out. He has to talk to you. <laughs> I know. It's, it's crazy to look back on it. So many missed opportunities on my side, too, where, like, I don't know if it was a little bit of ego or if it was just like, you know, ego trying to tell yourself like, ah, I got this man, but really like, what the fuck dude? Like go ask all these questions. You're going to make mistakes. Do not be afraid of making the mistakes. Cause man, I'm the, I'm in the place where I'm at right now because of a series of a, you know, tens of thousands of mistakes. But at the time you feel like you just have the life the world by the balls and you're just like let's go man which is awesome and you can go out there guns a blazing and 
and be as hard charging as you want to be, but take a second and just ask the people around you like, Hey, I'm going to go do this. But like, what do you, what do you think? What would you do? What would you recommend? Yes. Just for one second. Uh, listen, man, I got to go. I hate, I hate that we're up on time. We got to do a part two. It's going to happen. We got a bunch of questions. We got to, we got to do a part two. We got so many questions, but I appreciate you taking the time as always. Very, very insightful. We got a lot more to to run down, but I hope you have a very uh, good Thanksgiving. I know. Well, maybe we can do maybe we can do a pre Thanksgiving one or something. Get get back on the on the counter because I got some other questions for you. All right. Well, we'll do one next week too. All right. That? Sounds good. I'll Bye, talk buddy. to you later. See you, buddy. Cheers.